Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so excited to have you guys for episode 34. It is the challenges of American motherhood, Freud, Fromm, and the Oedipus Complex. This is an episode that we have mentioned to you uh, that we wanted to do last couple weeks. So uh, we're excited to be bringing this to you today. Yeah, Sonia, what's here. going on? Uh, yeah, what's getting, going on in your world? Nothing other than getting through each day. <laughs> it's just been crazy busy. Yeah. It's, you know what? It's so funny. It's, this is why we're coming at you guys on Sunday evening instead of Friday or Saturday. We have all three have been super busy. Um, you know, we started this podcast during the lockdown in April of 2020. And at that point in time, nobody was doing much of anything. And so now we're transitioning back to a somewhat life as normal. And mm -hmm. Victor started a new job this week. Um, Sonia, I think her pace of things have picked up. Um, mm -hmm. I as well. And, you know, my schedule can be, you know, all of our schedules are all over the place. So just keep in mind that this is a transitional place that we're all three in right now, uh, listeners, and we are working to get back to a good rhythm with the podcast as far as like having a day that we're absolutely doing it. Um, but we're all committed to it. We're just getting, you know, getting to the place where we can, um, figure out how to do it each week. So thank you for your patience with us. Um, yeah. Anything you want to throw in on that, Sonia? I think you're saying it all. It's just normal life. Busy, just, normal life. Yeah, crazy stuff. So, but we're, we're so excited to be with you guys tonight and we have some exciting news. Um, one of the things that we've shared and changed in the last couple months has been our logo, which that of course has been revealed and has changed. And we've uh, been working on um, an emblem and some artwork to go with it. And then our color palette. So our color palette, I wanted to announce that it is prepared and ready to go. So you're going to start to see that change reflected in the Instagram posts. So stay tuned for that. Um, we're really excited about it. Um, Sonia, you uh, listened to a really interesting podcast this past week that you shared with me um, yeah. that had an anthropologist on it that was fascinating. And I wondered if you would share with us a little bit about that. Sure. It's a New York Times Ezra Klein uh, podcast. And basically it was why much. And I think you and I discussed that, gosh, years ago. Um, the, the takeaway for me was that the anthropologist discussed how the societies worked 15 hours a week. <laughs> and of course mm -hmm. we work, our normal work week is 40 and most people work more than that. So the podcast really delved into how we sort of evolved into this, you know, even though we're, we're doing better economically, we're working more, which is something that I think uh, we've addressed on the podcast. I remember in the podcast, him saying something about like folks at a certain point, predicting that at, at a certain year, we would be mm -hmm. working way less because right. of technology and we're doing the opposite. Exactly, like they, the, the prediction was economically we would be doing better, which we are, generally speaking, of course. Um, but the other part was wrong about working less. Actually, people yeah. 
who who have higher incomes work a lot more. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, and that, they pointed that out, and I thought it was interesting, Sonia. I didn't mention this to you previously, but it's so funny because Ezra Klein is like, well, but I observed that people still work a lot, even like, why would they continue? And I'm thinking, hmm, you know, Fromm had an answer for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anxiety, being conditioned to work this way, you know, the high, how much we just suppress and hide things. And we use extreme workism as a coping mechanism for all the pain that we, yeah, emotional exactly. pain, the things that we're lacking. So, um, but it was interesting. What I really love about it is I'm fascinated. I think you know this about me, Sonia, with the whole hunter gatherer societies and what yes. the, that looked like. And so to hear the anthropologists talk about that in a little bit more detail was super interesting to me. I feel like based on what he said, they had a higher quality of life um, mm -hmm. from the perspective of like they spent a lot more time together um, and with each other and they shared a lot more. Right. They didn't have the hierarchical, hierarchical, I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, mm -hmm. system that we have where there's one person ahead, you know, the top of the pile. They definitely yeah. had to share. And um, the story you and I talked about was when the person went out, the person who hunted and brought like the biggest, you know, catch back to the tribe they would make fun of or you know like they would minimize that because they didn't want that person you know to have that status in the tribe so that was interesting yeah that the person who when they made a big kill and, yeah, and brought back it, a yeah. lot of meat they wouldn't be like oh wow you're just amazing they didn't yeah. give the credit to that person because they didn't want them to get a big ego and then right. become very selfish and greedy with and the powerful meat. <laughs> right <laughs> right but so interesting. Yeah. Um, and they said, if anything, it was the person who crafted the, not the arrows, but whatever it was that they used to, to make the kill. Those mm -hmm. were the people who got all the credit, not the person who hunted it. Right. Um, but it was so interesting. The thing that I loved about it, and I don't know if this is the exact phrase that he uses, but it was something along the lines of like shared, demanded share or yeah. something like that. Shared demand where, or something, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And so basically the idea was that if we're in a hunter-gatherer tribe together and you have, I don't know, acorns or, well, I don't know, whatever it is, and I want some, I can come up to you and be like, Sonia, give me acorns. <laughs> yeah. And you have to give them to me because yeah, they lived in such a, like a, like a, such a shared dependent um, group. And- mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting because it's so opposite of how we live. Absolutely. The one that has all the marbles keeps all the marbles. They don't share. So, yeah. Right. No, right. That was cool. Whoever Very has cool. The, all the marbles is praised more. But this is <laughs> yeah. something I would love to dive into more on a future episode. But we certainly, certainly, certainly wanted to... Um, you know, mention it today. And I've actually reached out to them to see if we could get that anthropologist to come on. So that would, oh, would be, that be awesome. Yeah. yeah that would be, would be amazing. So cool. yeah. yeah. So before we get into content, just want to remind and invite everyone to follow us on Instagram. We're at Rethinking Humanity and also to subscribe to us on uh, YouTube. Um, we're the Rethinking Humanity podcast on YouTube. If you just search it in the search bar, you can find us there. 
um, as well. We're also on Twitter, but we're really not on Twitter. So, you know, you can check Twitter, but we're not very active on Twitter. So follow us, please subscribe um, and tell your friends. We love to uh, share more uh, about our message. We are also on Clubhouse. We are not on Clubhouse very much lately because we've been so busy, but we are on Clubhouse. So feel free to find us on Clubhouse. Um, I'm often in the Tether Men's Mental Health Hour room. So you guys can come and check that out. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll love to see you there. So let's get into this. Um, so we uh, wanted to talk to you guys about um, a, an idea called the Oedipus Complex. Um, and it's something that showed up in one of the chapters that we've, or one of the sections that we've been discussing in previous episodes. And there's also a YouTube video on uh, Frome talking about the Oedipus Complex. And it's an interview of Frome with a man named John Harder. Um, they do the interview in Cuernavaca, Mexico. And he's talking to him about Freud's discoveries and the Oedipus Complex. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the second part of this YouTube video, there are three different academics who discuss the content of the interview with in, um, Eric Fromm and John mm -hmm. Harder. Okay. And so we're going to discuss their discussion, which is fascinating. And it's where we derived the title, The Challenges of American Motherhood from, because what ends up happening, they go from the Oedipus Complex to the realities of American motherhood and the challenges of American motherhood and how we can solve those problems. So moms, if you're listening, I think you're going to enjoy this one. And I invite you to share this episode with other moms. Okay. Because we were, Sonia and I were both fascinated. And I also will, we'll put the link to this in the description. We'll share the um, link to this uh, specific YouTube um video, we invite you to listen to it too, because it's amazing. So that's just a overview of kind of what we're going to talk about. And also we'll discuss a little bit of what the Oedipus complex is based on what we've read in, in the section as well. So that's uh, the nice setup for us. Let me get over to my notes here um, so that I can share a little bit more um, clearly with you guys. So, uh, yes. So the Oedipus complex, Sonia, what are your observations about the Oedipus complex, um, from the video and also from what we've read? So, um, my observations are that Fromm dives into this because he brings up Freud and Freud is the one who coined the term Oedipus complex. And it's basically, I mean, people probably, heard this term a lot. Basically, Freud is saying that there's this fixation on the mother, the mm -hmm. infant um, fixating on the mother. And what people typically think about when they think about the Oedipus complex is that the fixation on the mother, um, the, the, the son, say, gets fixated on the mother. And so there's this rivalry between the son and the father. And Freud attributes that like there's like a sex, he attributes it as a sexual um, connection. And mm -hmm. while Fromm doesn't discount that, that there is the physical, the sexual part, he said he thinks Freud missed uh, explaining the Oedipus complex from the emotional loss. Because yes. when a child is born, uh, the child comes from the womb of the mother, which we think of as like a safe, protected place out into the world. And so 
ideally what we all are searching for once you're born, no matter what your circumstances, is going back to that safe uh, place where you have unconditional love. So, for, yeah. so Fromm kind of explores it from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think I love how you said this too because we're acknowledging that Fromm acknowledged that you know maybe there's some there is something to the sexual attraction or what have you between the mother and the son and what have you, but he's saying Freud missed the most important part of what he would call the Oedipus complex, which is this deep attachment to the mother figure uh, on an emotional level. And our need, I mean, some of you, if you're into mental, emotional health, you might've heard of attachment theory and how uh, our early attachments affect our adulthood and our mental and emotional stability. And so it's a, it's really drawing the line that the emotional attachment to mother is something that um, impacts our life over time more so than the sexual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think last, our last episode, we brought up the incest theme. And so that the thinking actually comes from the incest, incest theme that mm -hmm. says that, you know, we have these natural ties of blood that give man this rootedness and belonging. So in case people don't understand that that's where that's coming from. But like you're saying, that's an, it's an acknowledgement and denial of man's longing for mother's love because that is what we're always striving to go back to that, you know, like I said, safe place where we can feel loved. Yeah. So, so for those of you who may be thinking, okay, well, what are they talking about? Like, I'm not sitting here striving to go back to mom. This is something that we would describe and, and Frome would describe and did it describe as unconscious and it's an it's attachment to the mother figure so it's the idea that um we we can come to and have this unconditional source of love have this all protecting haven would have no responsibilities be protected we don't have to take risk and that's what he was meaning when he was talking about this attachment to the mother figure. Right. And it's here to go back to it. Yeah. So let me clarify a little bit. So when we say mother, I mean, if we look at each person, all of us are going to go into relationships, whether it's with a person, whether it's jobs, whether it's conditioning, all that reflects on your childhood is the return to the idea of mother. We're not talking about actually returning to mother. Yes. Exactly. And I mean, who doesn't, I mean, who doesn't feel comfortable, really, really comfortable if with the idea of, oh, I'm going to be unconditionally loved, cared for. I don't have any responsibilities. I don't have any risk. How does that not sound comfortable and easy? Of course it does. So we all, I think, tend, absolutely can have the tendency to kind of fall back into wanting this. All right. And I mean, I know you're a big advocate of therapy. So in therapy, one of the things that, that they always look at is your childhood, because we're trying to fix what we lost in our childhood. And this is the example of that, that we're trying to go back to whatever it is that we we missed. And so, you know, I think Frome's uh, analysis is, is right on. Yes. And he also says there's a scale to which people are re remain attached to the mother um, and to the ones who are so attached to the mother, the mother figure, then that's 
you know, very unhealthy uh, emotionally, or maybe mm-hmm. insane might be a strong word, but it's definitely not healthy emotionally. Um, sure. And so I think that's quite interesting. Um, and the next thing from goes into talking about is uh, basically um, the fundamental problem in motherly love. And this is really the tipping point in the conversation, both with Fromm and with the scholars who discuss his interview later for the challenges of American motherhood. Um, and so he talks about the problem, the fundamental problem in motherly love. And Sonia, what what is that? And what would you say, uh, if you feel comfortable, like telling them, telling them what that is? And then, you know, of course, comment and what do you whatever you would like to share about that. Um. So you're going to have to refresh okay. my memory because there no was a worries, lot no of things they went through. No yeah. worries. I apologize. I didn't mean to. So the fundamental problem in motherly love, it's the challenge. I know you remember this, but maybe not those phrases. She she must. It's the challenge of letting go of the child. The mother oh, has to yeah. want yeah. and wish mm-hmm. that the gotcha. child emerges from her. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's so many. They, they go through a lot in the uh, analysis. But yeah, I mean, the ideal circumstances that the mother gives the child the security and this is this unconditional love. And then because of that, through that uh, love is, is able to let go of the child so that the child can go on into the world. And and for if, I'm sorry, from, I was about to say for it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. challenging if you just think about that, that you're loving something enough to, okay, now you can go. <laughs> Yeah. So that that's a, a a dilemma, yeah. I think it's a challenge not only for mothers but in just relationships in general. In relationships in general, yeah. Absolutely. Because we, you know, we want to love, he says and not want to cling and not want to control and mm-hmm. not want to be desperate for and be needy for in the negative sense of that codependency desperate and needy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so um so yeah, this is a challenge in love in general. It's this challenge of like observing the person for who they are, letting them be who they are, encouraging them to be who they are, not trying to control them for who they are and letting them go. And particularly yeah. for mothers, letting them go. And, and one of the guys that's the academic says the word, and I love this phrase, that the main uh job of the mother is to recede her role over time. Mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. that was amazingly interesting. Yeah, that's very true. And I think, I mean, we live in a society where we're very familiar with the term codependent. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a challenge. Yeah, it's something that people deal with throughout their life. And you're right. I mean, the idea of, of slowly backing away from basically letting, you know, the person fly, letting the person, letting, you know, the child go. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there that's a, that's tough yeah yeah and i think it's i mean i wonder what you think about this sonia but i don't know that it's a widely held or known idea that that's the goal like that's the ultimate goal of motherhood so i think uh i actually think well people maybe understand that like because if you think about it the child has to leave the nest the home but do they practice it? No. There's two things about thinking about it intellectually. Like if you talk to someone and said, well, you know, you have to raise your child and then you have to let them go in the world. They, the person be like, yeah, yeah, I know. But the behavior is not going to necessarily follow that. And that's what, um, 
you know, from discusses like the different attachments, like you were saying earlier, to the level of attachments to the mother figure. Then in the other um, audio with the academics, they yeah. start talking about motherhood in general, some of the challenges that, you know, that we are very familiar with in our society. I think in, this, in, in many societies, but, but definitely they're, they're, um, they're looking at the U.S. basically in that conversation, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so now um, we're going to call on our wonderful, awesome technical producer um, to help us, and he's going to play some audio clips for us um, from this discussion. And we're going to do a couple of these. I don't know how many, but I wanted to start, uh, Sonia with, uh, um, it's 1255 to 1353, Victor. And it's, um, women talking about them talking about like the women's feelings in therapy and mother's day being kind of, well, I'm just going to let, I'm going to say, and also they're commenting on mother's day. So it's 12.55 to 13.53, and um, Victor, whenever you're ready. You know, with uh, uh, women patients, uh, mothers, um, patients who are not being seen because they are mothers, uh, patients being seen for other reasons, but who in the course of working with them uh, reveal that they feel a, a lack of recognition, a lack of acceptance, a lack of status, a lack of any sense of belonging um, being derived from their being women or from their being mothers. And of course, one questions why we need such an institution as Mother's Day. Why, why do we need to uh, formalize uh, the concept of our devotion or tribute to Mother? Isn't this a kind of sentimentalism? It's a kind of sentimentalism, which I think uh, suggests uh, exactly the opposite, that we must have uh, rather ambivalent feelings towards uh, mothers and mother figures, uh, and that in an effort to uh, deny the uh, resentments, hostilities, etc., the feeling that maybe we've been cheated, haven't gotten enough love, uh, that we need to make sure that we uh, assign at least one day when we can deny these uh, negative feelings. So, wow. What do you think about that, Tonya? That's interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard that kind of uh, thought on Mother's Day. But if you think about it, yeah, why, why do we have that day? What's the purpose of that? Right. I mean, you could argue every day could be Mother's Day. Exactly. Just like honor and love your mom every day. <laughs> Do we have to make a day out of it? So I thought it was interesting that they um, that they talked about this. For those of you who are watching us right now, you can see that this is um, from 1962. I did not mention that. Um, and so anyway, I want to throw that out there. Um, and also at the beginning of that clip, he talks about women in therapy who are mothers Mm -hmm. feeling lost, feeling like they don't have a, a strong sense of their identity. And I thought that was a powerful thing. The guy who was speaking is a psych, uh, psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, I thought that was quite interesting. Well, I mentioned to you, Lacey, that I, I enjoyed listening to, to their analysis. Um, I, I was a little disappointed they didn't have a female, also yeah. academic talking. But in general, what's interesting, and this was in the 60s, the things the issues they're bringing up are the same issues I think we have today uh, yes. the the attachment issue the identity issue the trying to be different roles like to your partner and then be the be a mother and uh, what happens when the mother you know when the child leaves what's the identity for the the woman you know when she's not a mother I mean you're always a mother but it's your right role. right so it, they bring up all these issues that I think women are struggling with today too. So, yes, 
Yeah, very true. I, I thought one part that was super interesting um, was the fear, maybe that there was a fear for the mother around giving too much like contact, body contact or attention to an infant, to their infants. And they also talked further about the Eastern outlook on the Western, mm -hmm. how the Western mom is with the infant. And they, the Eastern outlook, what they had heard was that we were very detached from our infants and in that we didn't spend as much time bought with the bodily contact, mother to mother, skin to skin, like putting them in play pens instead of carrying them the whole time. So I'm really fascinated by that because I'm very anti, I think that we do it wrong. Um, I think unfortunately our society pushes women to do that because they have to go back in the workforce. They don't have help. There's not like extended family. We don't, you know, that's very like we've talked about that. And so I think it's damaging in the sense that we think that if you're attached to the child, at, we're talking infancy stage that you're spoiling the child, which right. if you look at other cultures, it's allowing the child to feel that love and feel the security to go on to the next step. But here right. immediately in the States, it's always like you're going to spoil the child like the playpen or the, you know, another area where you don't want that contact so the child can start to learn to be independent. But the irony is they're not going to be independent. There's going to be these attachment issues that we're all talking about today. Yeah. And it reminds me of what we have previously talked about. I think it was in the uh, episode on narcissism about how this is a, a healthy narcissism at from a certain age, mm -hmm. from infancy to whatever. So of course, mm -hmm. like it makes sense that the, the an infant would need a lot more attention and that it wouldn't be kind of scary. I didn't quite understand what he what they were what they meant by that. But now that you've said that, I totally get it. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I know I've brought this up to you before. I don't have the statistics or the date, but they, they did studies in orphanages. This was like in Russia or in other countries where the infants were fed, they had clean clothes, diapers, they died without physical contact. Wow, wow. So we, so we know how important physical contact is. And like right. you're saying, you like the hunter-gatherer thing with the tribes that they would be wearing, the, the child would be literally physically attached to them always till they were obviously able to walk and things. Right, um, right. And then there's just this whole, it's a very different concept here. Uh, the, and, but then in the tribe, of course, you have all these people helping. You have others yeah. who can take care of the child. And, and we don't have that here. So there's, you know, there's two sides to that story. It's well, that's something that they that they touch on as well in their conversation. Um, they talk about how families have changed over the years and how families now are uh, not like multi-generational family homes anymore. Mm -hmm. And so therefore there's not as much support for a mother um, to not only help with the children, but to give her some, you know, connection with another adult and being right, someone who right. with kids. Like I know. Yeah, yeah, I know this. Yeah. Need that. yeah. Yeah. And I think it's unfair because with women, they also, women need a break. I mean, you know this cause you're, you work with families and stuff, but you need a break as a parent. Uh, it, it is hard if you don't have that support 24 seven, you know? Uh, so then you're the only person doing that job, potentially, if we're just talking traditional family where the father goes out and works, 
So this is this is the struggle that we have. Do we have a society, as Fran would say, that really values family, or do we just say that we value family? Hmm. Because I think if the society valued family, we would see something that would accommodate this need for mothers to have the support with their family, with their kids, with right. each other. We would see right. more community, really. Right. And even to be a mother, if you wanted to be a mother, if you live in another country, say you get paid for a whole year so you could be with your child. Here, you have to go back to work right away. So well, you have to detach. There's all you have to detach. You know, yes. like there's no other option. This is this is insane, right? Like <laughs> you have you you get two months, maybe three. Of course, you're not going to be able to give that you know, quality bodily contact no. to the infant. Why? Because you don't even do anything anymore after three months because you got to go to back to work. Exactly. <laughs> Which in other yeah. countries, it's so wild. Like they, I know that they got to be like, how in the world are they? I mean, I think Sonia, I was thinking about this as I was listening to it. Surely the degree or the, the quantity of mental health issues that we have in this country is surely related in some ways to the rushed uh, pace that we put mothers back in the workforce. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing I was gonna say is, I think you'd get an argument that people would be like, well, I'm fine, or you know, you grow up, you go to school, you get a job, but then why do you think these people are suffering in, in therapy and, and have mental health issues? Because of the childhood, of course. You, you right. bring it back to your infancy, I mean, that's it's a no-brainer. I don't. I didn't study psychology, but I'm aware that you know a lot of us. I, I don't want to just generalize here, but you know a lot of our issues can result in our what happened to us as children. Right, right. Uh, it's absolutely true, and it's so much of the reason why many, like you say, um, are are dealing with unresolved pain. And mm -hmm. it's manifesting in different ways. I I think I want to take us to 1747, Victor, um, in, ending at 1831. And this clip, they're talking a little bit about how community groups are kind of overtaking the role of the family to support mothers. And they're saying it kind of in a negative way, like, um, you know, it used to be that we had the multi-generational families, but now it's like, now there's like community groups and I think Sonia and I both agree that the, we think the community groups are great, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think the variety of sources is good. But I, I think that, you know, playing this clip might be interesting for you to hear in context of what we're saying about the importance of having, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Well, while we're waiting, um, it definitely mm -hmm. takes a village. You, you and I have talked about even communal living um, mm -hmm. and the support that uh, that families need as a whole. Yes. Even even a family, like the nuclear family, it's not, there's not enough there, you know? No. And this is something that they touch on a little later in the conversation is how important it is um, to for for the mother to be able to be exposed to different community groups, basically, they right. didn't say those words, but to build a life outside of the orbit of the home. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. 
as a projection. And also... Your own aspiration. I think, uh, Dean Isbitt, uh, you could uh, uh, comment also on how uh, much the uh, mother may remove herself from the family and seek these uh, loves, these attentions, these affections by uh, uh, going to work, by finding a career for herself, uh, getting the respect, getting these needs gratified outside of the family. And of course, we have developing in American society in many areas now increasingly groups which, in a sense, are a substitute for the older relationships of the extended family. I'm thinking of some of the clubs and associations, the neighborhood informal coffee gatherings. Can we finish that one out there, Victor? Gatherings and the like. But there's Thank another you. aspect of the anxiety that both of you gentlemen have referred to arising from the mother's role in our small family. And that is the kind of anxiety that seems to me to be generated in the American family in the child. Okay, you can stop, sorry. All right, so um, yes, the community group's kind of overtaking that role of the mother um, and uh, the role of the family, sorry, to support. Again, I don't, I don't know what you think, Sony, but I definitely don't think community groups are a bad thing, but I wonder, um, you know, I wonder if there's some value in what they're saying in that maybe it's more helpful, the intergenerational stuff. Um, so just hearing what they're saying, I think it's, you know, you have to dig a little deeper there because one thing they're bringing up is, I, I'm, I'm just thinking of an example as you join a book club or something in your community. It's an opportunity obviously to get out of the role that the mothers are playing every day. They get to be in another environment, have conver adult conversation like you're saying. But I don't think that specifically addresses like what we were talking earlier about the full support, whether right. it's um, having more income, having other people that are helping you with being a parent. There's mm -hmm. a lot of different ways to look at that. And I mean, I know we've brought it up on this uh, podcast, UBI. There's just many, you know, many other aspects of supporting um, families in general. You know, and I also think the, the the couple needs to get have their separate time. Yes. Because that's the healthiest thing is having the couple be strong to bring that back into the family unit, you know. A hundred percent. And they talk about that as well. Um, mentioning that the mother um, needs the love of the husband to mm -hmm. continue to be able to give love to the child because nobody can give anything that they don't have. And so it puts a lot of pressure on the husband. Um, there's just a lot of pressure, period, mm -hmm. on everybody. Yeah. Um, and so if that need to feel loved by the husband is not there, uh, then the mo mother, mother looks to the child. To the child, yeah. Guys, yeah. it happens. <laughs> it Absolutely. sounds outrageous, but I'm telling you, it happens all the time. Well, I know the this we're specifically focusing on motherhood, but I will throw in that fatherhood. I think it's unfortunate in our country because we don't support fathers staying home or yeah. fathers maybe not working as hard so that they can also be part of the parenting process. So if we have this just traditional view, the right. one parent bears that load. I mean, it's, it's just not, you know, it's not a balanced view in my opinion. Right. The patriarchal, mm -hmm tendency in our society just knocks that out. And I mean, I think I would even venture to say what you mentioned, basic income, universal basic income would be so helpful in 
bringing us to a place, number one, where we show a value for women and the work that they do in the home as mothers, as women, but also bringing men home to where they can be a part mm -hmm. of child rearing and absolutely spending quality time with their kids. At the end of the day, that's really what it's what parenting is all about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you do hear these stories and it's sad that they'll say, well, I never saw my father, you know, when I was growing up, he was always working, you know? Yes. <laughs> you yes. <laughs> and then, but, but sadly, then people are like, well, you know, look upon the dad with pride. Like, well, he was doing what he was supposed to do. Right. Exactly. Well, I'm sure he was doing his best, but God, <laughs> yeah. God, exactly. We can do a lot better for our kids. And, and, the way we do it is not by giving them free, more free childcare. <laughs> why, why don't we just pay the people who, who had the kids to actually spend time with them? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're making it way more complicated than it really needs to be. I agree. Um, it's crazy. And so I, I guess the next um, thing that I would highlight here is that in these situations, in we could even say in the nuclear family, the child becomes very isolated and so does the mother and that tends to issues and problems mm -hmm. and it's one of the reasons why i am again very fascinated by uh, a hunter-gatherer society because there were always people around now you mm -hmm. can't tell me as we are as human beings for the people who tend to like kids if there was a person around who liked kids mm -hmm. which there was and yeah. there was a there was a couple in the group or whatever that had a kid. They're going to help. Like the kid comes running up and yes. says, "Will you help me?" But they can say no. <laughs> of course not. Right. So I mean, I think you create an environment where everyone is where you feel that support, and that and there isn't one person that has the job. You know, you're really sharing and you're enjoying that experience you know to be with other human beings but when it, it can be very isolating of course if you're the only person that yeah. is doing everything for a child <laughs> you know that's a lot right yes and we talk it's about self-care you and i in these past that's our big thing i know your thing is self-care how can you do self-care if you're taking care of someone else and you don't have time to take care of yourself that's correct. And I can tell you from the experience of being a nanny and having worked on overnights and, and multiple days in a row, uh, it's, it's hard. It's exhausting. very hard. It's so much, there's so it's exhausting. I mean, it is the most underappreciated, undervalued, uh, misunderstood work that there is. Right. I mean, if you want to have a kid because you want somebody to look like you, you haven't thought deeply enough about it. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's probably cute and fun and stuff. Yeah. But let well, me it's, tell it's you labor what. and it's unpaid labor is what it is. Yeah. Right. Right. And I think if, if we thought about it a little bit, we could see where we doing something more than the cinemalism, sentimentalism of mother's day um, would value all of us. Um, as a society, because if mothers are more prepared and more empowered to take care of their kids, how how does that hurt? How does that help? It's going to help because the kids are going to be better quality kids and that's going to make for a better society. society exactly. Yes. That's what I'm yes. saying. It just it's the cycle keeps repeating. If you don't deal with the issues right here, they're just it's going to keep happening. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, exactly. The, and then they ended on the note 
discussing um, how important it is for the mom to learn to let go of the child and to recede her her role over mm-hmm. time, um, and also um, to see her role as transitional. Um, but also as a part of that process to take interest in activities outside of the home and doing the self-care, doing the going to play tennis, doing the, I don't know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. play soccer, or whatever it is that you enjoy doing, connecting, going out with friends, going on a date with your husband, whatever it is, the, those types of things. Um, and learning, I thought this was interesting. They said learning kind of, kind of to let go of this very physiological instinct of the mm-hmm. mother being a mother because as life changes that role changes and the mother is more than just that instinct yes i think that biologically we're programmed to have which is good the instinct of taking care of you know the young the newborn the old but as that child gets older obviously but like you're saying that relationship recedes And I think it's really important for women to have more than that in their life, whatever that is, if they're passionate about something, it could be activism, it could be working, it could be drawing, it could be, like you're saying, playing a sport, but but a woman needs more because at some point that child is going to go. It's just the way life is. Yep. Yep. And then that's why they talk about, what is that? The empty nest syndrome, they say, when Mm -hmm. parents kids grow up and go to college. I don't think a lot of people think about that and that that reality is going to happen, you know? I mean, Mm because the other other side of that is that you have a kid living with you for the rest of your life, which, but you know, that's not healthy either. Right. Right. For either party, for the parents or the children. Or for the child. Yeah. Or for the adult child. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, I I just I think it's incredibly interesting how many of the topics like you mentioned at the beginning that they are talking about during this discussion um, that are relevant still today. Um, And one of the big things is um, just being able to have the support, have the ability to to detach um, and recede as a mother in the role and finding other things to support. It really comes down to self-care, Sonia. It really does. Mm-hmm. It does. I want to uh, change something I just said. Not change it because I made the comment about the child living. I think I love the idea of the extended families and even sharing space and time. But I think there's a, there's the dependence, there's the codependence, and there's an independence. I think you can be in mm-hmm. a family unit you know, because we've talked about this, whether you have aged parents or an adult child, and they could be contributing. But the idea in my mind is that they're separate people. You have a separateness, but then you're able to come together. So yeah. this is what I'm talking about, because I think you could have a child leave the home. Maybe they're independent financially, but they have a lot of problems uh, attached because of what they experienced or didn't experience when they were a child. Mm-hmm. That that's kind of what I want to just clarify a bit. Gotcha, gotcha. Heard. I think the thing that I take from this and the message that I feel like I want to amplify is through this is that we just we need a society that accommodates mothers. Our society really doesn't accommodate mothers, no. motherhood, no. and furthermore, that accommodates a community setting for child rearing. Um, because it is 
not one person's job and it's not two people's job. When it becomes one person's job, then things like the emotional incest syndrome stuff mm -hmm. starts happening. Marriages fall apart. Resentment happens. The yeah. child gets abused right. and neglected. It's a bad recipe. It's a yeah. bad mixture. It's a bad recipe for society. Whether you have a child or not, if you think about it, the children are going to grow up. They're going to be our doctors. They're going to be our business people. They're going to be in our society. So we're all affected by how these children are getting raised, whether we are aware of it or not. As a society, we are all affected. They're going to be the decision makers someday. Yes, yes. So I'm hopeful that we can do what, you know, Fromm has mentioned in past writings, which is brainstorm and start thinking of creative ways to accommodate and to accomplish these, you know, these needs. Um, I know co-housing is something that I've heard about that Andrew Yang wrote about in his book um, that I think is a cool uh, solution. And I think that could be a cool way to maybe solve some of these problems for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think sharing responsibilities. I think, like you said, the UBI, I think uh, now we have the child, the care tax credit. I think there's a lot of creative ideas that we could be putting out there. Well, education, which you can speak to. I mean, we need better forms of, uh, you know, systems of education for children when they're young. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot that we, we could improve upon. Well, what's so ironic that just hit me is that the words that we're using right now is the word that we're using right now, sharing. We need mm -hmm. to share, right? And what was our first thing that we talked about, about the, the hunter-gatherer society who shared, they shared everything. And the, the thing that's missing here is a shared responsibility, a shared community, <laughs> a shared interest in these things. And so- yeah. I don't know, just like full circle. We talk about sharing. Yeah. That's the thing. We need more of that. We need less of the pressure and individualism and more of the sharing in the community. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well, uh, we appreciate you guys being with us tonight. Um, we are so happy that you decided to tune in. And um, we hope you have a great week next week. Normally we say have a great weekend, but it's Sunday. <laughs> so we'll say have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Rethinking Bye, guys. Podcast. Bye.